We are uh, in a series, a three-part series, uh, four-part series, excuse me, we're in our third part called Together. Would you say that with me? One, two, three, Together. And, uh, and the premise of this series is, Lord, help us. Lord, teach us how to keep our families together, how to keep our marriages together, how to keep our church together, how to keep our small group together. Man, how to keep my brain together. That's kind of the premise of this series. It's about relationships, about, about, about marriage relationships. It's about children and raising kids. and It's just the series that we're in called Together. And we started off with the language of Together. That was the first week that we taught. And it was magnificent. Guys, I'm telling you, God gave me such um, downloads from Him to learn literally the language of together. If you didn't get to hear that, you weren't here for that message, go back and listen to it online uh, on our website. It, it's still challenging me, and I'm still working to be, be the man that speaks the language of together. And then last week was Mother's Day. Come on, all moms. Give them a hand. We love you, moms. And then how about my mom? She shared the word with us. I thought it was awesome. And I was so proud of her, and I was, I was so uh, mad that all of you walked up to me and said, wow, your mom preaches better than you. That, that didn't set well with me. Yeah, no, but it was awesome. I was so proud of her. And today, we're going to be talking about, uh, and mom was teaching us on how to keep our families together. Today, we're going to be talking about how to keep our marriages together. You say, oh my goodness, I'm single. Why am I sitting here? Friend, can I explain something to you? You're going to be married. You say, oh, well, 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 I'm past the age of marrying again. I'm not going to, listen, those of you that are older and single, we need you to know this to teach us. And help us. And so we're all going to benefit from today's teaching on how to keep our marriages together. And so starting off with that, I just thought I would start off. You know, I love, I love talking about Boudreaux all the time. And so Boudreaux, he and Marie were sitting there. And boy, they, had, they hadn't been married very long. And they had one of the worst fights they done ever did have. I mean, it was just a terrible fight. And Boudreaux said, when we got married, Marie, you said that you, was gonna, you promised to love, to honor, and to obey me. Marie, Marie replied, I know, but I didn't want to start an argument in front of all them people at the wedding. Come on, somebody. I know I said that, but I didn't mean it. <laughs> anyway, so today we're going to be talking about together. We've got a key scripture. It'll be on the screen right now. If you want to look at that for just a moment, or open it up in your word and underline it or write it down. And that's Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18. In Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18, we learn that the Lord said it's not good for man to be alone, that I will make a helper suitable for him. You know who instituted marriage? God. God did marriage. God said it's not good for man to be alone. God said, I will create a helper for him. You don't get a helper who's weaker than you. That word actually in the original Hebrew is a word that actually means to, to not just complement, but to give strength to. And they would use that word in, 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 in ancient times, that Hebrew word, they would use it as that, that thing that they would wrap, that strap that they would put around the bottom girth of a ship to keep it all together. Let me tell you something, that woman is not weaker than you. Let me tell you what, she's stronger than you, and God sent her to you to keep it all together. Come on, somebody. And so God looks at Adam and said, it's not good for you to be alone. I'm going to create for you a helpmate. And what I did last week was I asked each of you to give us some of the wisdom that you've learned over the years and put it out on social media and hashtag, you know, cough together and put out some of the wisdom that you've learned over the years that maybe we could, we could kind of be blessed by today. And so you guys did some great jobs posting and I want to read out some of them for us today. I thought this was really cool before we go any further. I love what Carolyn Ignat, her and Todd put out out there for us. She said, above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. She quoted 1 Peter 4, 8. And then Carolyn put this. She said, when we learned how to live out that verse, our marriage changed completely. We covered each other 
and, uh, and when one of us is in the wrong, instead of trying to make the other see our way, we pray and let God do the work. Living this truth has taken our marriage from one on the brink of divorce eight years ago to a thriving, joyful, life-giving union. Wasn't that awesome? Give Carolyn a hand for posting that. And then, of course, our, the Byler family, uh, uh, Lance and Erica, posted this. They said, marriage is not a 50-50 proposition. It is a lifelong commitment to choose love in the midst of unmet expectation. That's the truth. Give them a hand. That was awesome. I love what Alistair posted for us. Best marriage advice given by my dad. Son, it's easy to get married. It's hard to stay married. Be sure you are done with single life. Come on, that's wisdom right there. Powerful. And then I love what uh, Ken and Kinsey posted for us. The Carsages, they put that big, big, beautiful picture of them being out in Cabo. Kind of mad about that. That's a recent pic. Anyway, and so in marriage tips, they said, uh, take time to talk about things. And don't just revolve around your responsibilities, i.e. bills, kids, work, etc. Talk about your dreams. Joke around and laugh. Isn't that awesome? That's a great post. Great pointer wisdom. How about this one from Cindy Blanco? Miss Cindy, she sent us like 15. So much wisdom coming from you, girlfriend. And she put this one. This is my favorite. She, did, she gave me about seven, but I picked this one. She's put, she said this. Communication is mar- in marriage is important. Communicate, communicate, communicate. Your spouse isn't a mind reader. Come on, girlfriend. That was awesome. That was my favorite. And then I love, I love what Amy and Tony posted. Look at this picture of them. Aren't they beautiful? They're awesome small group leaders for us. They put this, always be honest from the little things to the big things. Always communicate with each other. Never give 50-50. Both of you have to give 100% to the marriage. The enemy is determined to destroy. You, must, you two must be a united front. You and me, baby, against the world. Come on, girl. You and me, baby, against the world. That, that needs to be a song. I'm going to write it for you. Here it goes. Victoria put this one out there. Speak kindly towards each other. Affirmation is food for the soul. Isn't that good? That's true right there. Thank you, Victoria. Ryan Wood and Sarah put this. A marriage isn't a boat. You can't set it on autopilot and expect it to end up where you wanted it. Come on, somebody. You got to work at that thing. I thought that was good. Anna Karen and and, uh, uh, put this. He put, love is a choice. So make sure you marry someone that makes decisions that decision easy every day. Come on, that's newlyweds right there. They still, man. It's a good, I, it's an easy decision every day. I love you, baby. <laughs> I love what Gabby put. Gabby put this, Gabby and Stephen. Remember, it is never your spouse you are fighting with, but rather you two together against the world. Ephesians 6, 12. And I posted this. This is something that Mom Lindsay, uh, who was the co-founder of Christ for the Nations, always would say, never yell at each other unless the house is on fire. I thought that was... She said that into her 90s. She, y'all don't yell at each other unless the house is on fire. And then your youth pastor <clears throat> put this quote. Pastor Jonathan put this for you. Just some marriage wisdom for all my friends out there. If you want to buy yourself a new toy, make sure you buy your wife something first. When she goes to pump the brakes on your new purchase, you can remind her of the gift that she just got. I don't know if that's marriage wisdom or not. I don't know what to do with that. uh, Darren and Michelle Peck posted this one. Look at the pictures of these beautiful couple. These are the guys who serve you with all the media that you experience and all the lights and, and, and video and all that. And Michelle posted this. 
fight for your marriage more than the world fights to break it up. Thank you, Michelle. That's powerful. So much wisdom in that. How about this one right here? Jehoshaphat. Where'd you go, Jehoshaphat? I love this guy. He's from the Dominican. Watch. He's a newlywed. How long y'all been married? Two months. This was his wisdom. Two months. Newlywed tips. Even when we argue, my only rule. That's what he put. My only rule is that you can never say no when I ask for a kiss. That's two months worth of wisdom right there, bro. <laughs> Tell you right now, try that about five years in. See how that works. <laughs> here, are, here are pastors, Jack and Nicole Clark. I know, right? Pastors you know, uh, Nicole and, and Jack put this uh, to the competitive ones, and they have a right to speak at it. They're the two most competitive people I've ever met. Make it a goal to outserve one another. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, Galatians 5.13. That is powerful. Instead of competing against each other, compete to see who can serve the other the most. I thought that was beautiful. Thank you for that wisdom. And that's our last and final one. Give all of those guys. Thank you guys for posting. thought that was powerful. So today, I thought I'd like to kind of start, um, kind of give you some meat of the message. So this was kind of my opening, but I, can I give you the meat of the message? And I thought, you know what, I could kind of give you some wisdom that I've learned over the years and after this many years of ministry and all the years of counseling. And, and I knew in, in our congregation, there's so many couples that have been married for a long time, so many people who've pastored for years, even longer than I have. And so I, I wanted to do, I wanted to do kind of a setting where we hear from another couple and Jamie and I, and kind of almost like... Like a, almost kind of like a talk show or kind of like a sit down and, and a discussion kind of piece. And, uh, and so uh, I, there's a couple in our church that have pastored for years and God did something for them a few years ago. He began to take them on a journey to become really strong at teaching people how to keep their marriages together. They've traveled overseas. They've written curriculum. They've ministered over, uh, over and over again in marriage settings and really have just some great wisdom and truth. And I thought, who better than to help me kind of bring out some key points was Pastor John and Elisa Hunter, would you guys come to the stage? And then at my side, bringing wisdom as well, Miss Jamie McCain. Come on, get all of us up here. Come sit up here with us. So good. So as they take their seat, I pose the question to them like this. I said, I want you to imagine that you are on an airplane and the person that you've been seated next to, somewhere in the midst of sitting with them, ask you about yourself and you start telling them you're a Christian and so forth. You, the plan lanes and you've got to go rushing off to make a connecting flight. But right as the plane goes to land, knowing that people are about to jump up, grab their luggage, and take off, knowing that you've got to hurry, they ask you this question. Hey, you're a Christian. I'm not doing so good in my marriage. Do you have any advice that could help us keep it together? And with that, knowing that you only have five minutes, what would be, out of all the truths, out of all the conferences that you've taught, out of all the counsel that you've given, all the couples that you've helped over the years, all the things that you've learned, all the books that you read, all the different points on how to be good at marriage, how to keep it together, what God would say, what one point with just five minutes left before you go rushing off, would you tell them what piece for you means the most that you said, if you get nothing else, if I don't have any other time to teach you anything else, I want to teach you this one point. And with that being said, I posed that question to these guys up here and gave them the opportunity to pray about it and say, boom, here's what I would tell them. And so to start with us today, if it's all right, would you give her a hand, Elisa Hunter. So Elisa, I want to pose that question to you. You've got five minutes 
They're looking you in the eye. They're telling you, listen, we are, we've been married a couple years. I don't know if we can keep it together. And what would you advise that I really work on? There's so much I want to work on, so much I know we need to do better. But what would you tell them? And what would be your number one key point to say, this is what you got to do? If I only had a limited amount of time, I would tell them, don't cheat intimacy. And I'm not talking it's about good. cheating on your spouse. I'm talking about not cheating yourself out of the intimate relationship that you can have with your spouse. Um, Pastor Adam has said that we've gotten to travel all over the world to share this, and I've shared it with many, many women. And the common feedback that I get from them is that it's kind of like the marriage is a cliche. You know, after you get married, you know, um, sex in the bedroom is kind of boring and you're not interested. Um, we even, John shared a joke yesterday about um, a man who came home from work and his wife was in a new lingerie set. And she said, honey, you get to tie me up and do whatever you want. And he said, really? And she said, yeah, sure. So he ties her up and then he goes to play golf with his buddies. And it's become... You were making me so nervous. Sorry. I'm going to say right now. I was like, well, that was for yesterday, not for Sunday. <laughs> but go ahead. But my point is, is that intimacy in, after marriage has become kind of the butt of the joke. Uh, and for women, dude. it's, it's it become a task, something that we check off mm. of our to-do list at the end of the day. And so whenever I would talk to these women, I mean, some of them would even say, go so far as to say, I could never have sex with my husband ever again. I love my husband, by the way, but I, if I never had sex with him again, then that would be fine with me. And to me, first of all, that's not love. <laughs> Um, second of all, these weren't older women. These were women that had 30 years left of marriage. And I'm thinking 30 years with no intimacy with your husband is really tragic. Yeah, you had this moment me. where you had this yes. like interaction with a group of women who told you that. And you were like, oh, my goodness. Right. And the first thing that would pop into my head was this scripture here. And it's 1 Corinthians 7. And it says, the husband must fulfill his duty to his wife and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise also the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife. Stop depriving one another, except by agreement, only for a time that you may devote yourselves to prayer and come together again. And so I knew this scripture. I knew biblically that what they were telling me was wrong. But at the same time, I found that I kind of identified with their feelings. Yeah. And so I would come home and I would talk to John. Hey, so there's these women and some of them are even my friends. And they're talking about this. And these are good Christian women. Yes, yeah. Christian women. Love their husbands. Yeah. Don't like sex. And um, we, in talking about it, John and I... I then, I then rebutted, I know a woman. And she... <laughs> so we had this conversation. So we started talking out. about our own marriage, our own intimate life, and realized that we were not very far off from where these people were. And that really scared me because I knew biblically I needed to change something. And so we kind of took off down this road, and it was a nice long road. It took about two years, and at the, about the end of that two years, um, I realized that I had been cheating myself out of intimacy with my husband. I didn't want that anymore, and so... Yeah, and explain that, because we're, cause we live in a, a generation that's very sexual, and, uh, and there's a lot of perversion in, in connected to that. It's outside of marriage. It's, it's, uh, it's demeaning. It's all these kind of pieces. And so, and so intimacy really is what we're talking about. I want you to kind of speak into that. What is intimacy? What is that? What is that? How, how are you cheating yourself? How are we cheating ourselves when we don't fight for intimacy? Because intimacy, sex with your husband is the one, or your spouse, is the one thing that you only do with your spouse. If you take all kinds of affection from hugging right. to kissing to um, even I love you or snuggling, I mean, we do that with, I 
do that with my kids. My mother-in-law, actually, she kisses me on the lips sometimes. And, you know, I mean, it's my mother-in-law. I mean, she's the older, you know, she's a lovely person. But, you know, that's how she shows affection. So, yeah. you know, I, I kiss my husband, but I also kiss my kids. And I, I kiss, um, you know, my mother-in-law. And, you know, some of us, honestly, we cuddle and snuggle our dogs, and we tell our dogs we love them. So, really, that's, that's not sacred. What's sacred is this, the intimacy between husband and wife. It's the truth. It's that definitive thing that really separates the husband and wife relationship from every other relationship we have around us. Uh, It it, it is the defining characteristic when it comes down to it. I mean, uh, you know, the the iceberg is not an iceberg unless it's that 10% sitting above the waterline. Otherwise, it's just a rock. Uh, And so what defines a marriage opposed to every other relationship is that iceberg, that 10% that sits above the waterline. And without that intimacy, without that consistent intimacy in the marriage, it's not a marriage. It's, it's a cohabitation. Yeah. It's a good friendship. It's two buddies. It's two people hanging out for life, but it's not a marriage. And, mm-hmm. and I think the, the thing that we, we, we lose in the process of this is the passion and the excitement and the pleasure that God designed within intimacy. But like you were yeah. saying, our, our sexual culture has, has really ruined it to the point at which Within marriage, it's boring and mundane, but in a single life, it's yeah. passionate and exciting. Or forbidden fruit, checking out and going to grab you somebody else. And it's the, the total opposite. Really, God designed it perfectly and purely and passionately yeah. to be experienced within, me- in, within mar- marriage. So you would, you, teach, you would teach us to fight for that yes, intimacy. Don't absolutely. cheat it. Yeah. Absolutely. And so a really wise man once told me, this wise man is sitting next to me, um, when we were having this discussion about marriage, um, he said, you know, the amount of space that is between us in the bedroom is the amount of space that the devil has to get into our marriage and start messing things up. And that has Great. stayed with me. And so, so I really good. want to um, let you guys know, mind the gap. They have this saying in London, if you travel to London, between um, getting, if you go on the tube, which is their subway, getting on and off, there's a gap in between the train and the platform. And to get from one side to the other, you have to be paying attention to that gap or you're going to fall down and face wow. plant or hurt yourself really bad. And so mind the gap in the bedroom because that's, that's so the good, place Alicia. that the devil can come in and get in there and start messing stuff up. Obviously, you would have only had five minutes, so you'd walk away from this person, and what would you tell them? Say, listen, I, can't, I don't have time to give you anything else, but here's a resource that you can go and get a hold to that would help you. What would you encourage uh, us with? The resource is, is a book called A Celebration of Sex by Dr. Rosenau. Okay. And yeah. so you would challenge any of us. Just go get that. It's Absolutely. good. It's a, it's a good Absolutely. strengthening to, to mind the gap. To, mind to, the gap. Yeah. <laughs> and, don't, and don't cheat intimacy. Yes. Uh, John, so you, now to you. So you've got, you got five minutes. You're on an airplane. They're about to walk off, and they, they pose this. They look deep in your eyes. Can you help me? What do you say? It's something I could do. What would be your great big point of truth that you could help them with? If you're only giving me five minutes, you don't care about your marriage? That's <laughs> <laughs> all you got. That's all you got. Uh, uh, absolutely is fighting for oneness, is fighting for that unity. I think when we think about oneness in, in, in the scripture, our key scripture from Genesis, and also, also uh, then paralleled over into Ephesians chapter 5, uh, it says that for this cause a man shall leave his father and his mother, and he shall cleave to his wife. Um, you know, the, and so that word cleave, we, you've heard it maybe many times in teachings, is it does have a sexual connotation in the Hebrew, that word cleave. But when you really think about what it means to become one flesh, it goes on to say, in the, in the, in the, and he shall cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Now, there's something very interesting in that, because when we think about marriage, and we think about the coming together, and the marriage bed, and the union, and all this thing, our mind does jump. 
to that, which we're, we're going we're gonna to be intimate together. This is the person I'm going to not only spend the rest of my life with, this person, the, the, the person that I get to be intimate with without guilt, without shame. This is the, this is the rest of my life. But what gets left out is the completion of who we are as people. And I want to mind a couple of things on this, and, and I want to clarify a, a couple of things. Number, number one, I, I want to kind of maybe dispel the, the, uh, maybe the complication of the Trinity, the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. They're all three together, but they're separate. And that brings a lot of confusion to a lot of Christians, and it's kind of that, that third rail of, of trying to figure out you've got to be a theologian to understand this. It is actually very simple because we're all Trinities. You're a trinity, I'm a trinity. In fact, humans, as, as, a, as a human being, we are the only being outside of God that is a trinity. Angels, they're a, they, they're a spirit who have a soul. Now, the word soul in the Greek is, is uh, psyche, which is where we get our word psychiatric. Mind, uh, with our, with our uh, emotions, our mind, and our, and, and our thinking. Uh, the, the flesh, then, in the Greek is carne, which is where we get the word carnal, which is this flesh thing we have on the outside. Spirit is the Greek word pneuma, which is the real us on the inside. So you are body, soul, and spirit. You are a spirit who lives in a body who has a soul. An angel is a spirit who has mind, will, and emotions, has a soul. An animal, your pet, is a flesh that has a soul. I used to have a dog that would get embarrassed every time it got a haircut. It has a mind, a will, and an emotion. <laughs> and, I, and I always get so much hate mail, so it's going to you now because nobody has my email address. Your dog doesn't have a spirit. Pastor John not... at gmail.com. <laughs> Your dog is not a spirit being. It wasn't created in the image and likeness of God. You're a spirit being created in the image and likeness of God. Fluffy won't be going to heaven. He's not eternal. We are eternal. We're spirits. There it is. <laughs> yes, I'm sorry. I knew you were going to It is important... <laughs> So let's fight for oneness. How about you get back to oneness instead of talking about dogs? Get over here. So, so the reason why is because the reason why these kind of these things are so important is because we are three in one. If you are if you aren't three in one, then why do you argue with yourself? You're either crazy or there's more than one of you in there. And if you die, your body stays here and your spirit goes to be with God. There's so much complexity to what it means to becoming one rather than just being intimate with each other bringing our hearts together, bringing our minds together, bringing our activities together, bringing our hobbies together, bringing your life together. It does not say that two shall become two living in the same place, cohabitating. It says, and the two shall become one flesh. It's no longer you and I. It's no longer me and you. It is we and us together, building a life together. Uh, One of the stories that we have with this is uh, Elise and I come from two very different backgrounds. She loves the beach. I'm a redhead. So, it, you know, there's, there's, there's all sorts of complexities in our life that weren't mixing well together. She loves to shop. I don't care what I wear. And, and so we, we're bringing these two lives together. One of those moments where we had to, and, you know, because marriage really is this. Marriage is not the continuation of individuality. If you're trying desperately to hang on to your individuality, you're, whole, you're missing the entire point of marriage. Marriage is not the continuation of individuality. It's the sacrifice of it. It's saying that I'm willing to lay down my life to serve and to please this person that I love. It's what God did. He laid down his life. He left his place in heaven, what made him an individual separate from any other being in creation. It said that he laid down his equality with God and became a man that he may serve us through his death. 
and his sacrifice. And this is the mystery of Christ and the church, which is marriage. So that laying down of individuality to sacrifice for love. So Elisa and I, early on in our marriage, I'd been skiing since I was a kid. 20 years, black diamonds were boring with me at this point. And then we had the chance a few years into our marriage to go skiing together for the first time and her go skiing for the first time. So I immediately, through a prophetic moment with the Lord, uh, came to understand this, that if I were to teach her how to ski, it would be the end of our marriage that weekend. (laughs) There would be no way that I would be able to patiently teach somebody how to ski. So after 25 years of skiing, I hung up my skis, and I've never touched them since. And my wife and I went to the mountains, and I got a snowboard, and her and I learned how to snowboard together. together. And instead of me hanging on to this individual thing that I loved, I let it go and I released it and we found something that we could passionately do together. It's about two people coming together. Right now in our culture, it's very difficult. I only have a few seconds to get this across. It's very difficult in our culture today because we have Facebook. I have your, my friends, you have your friends. We don't need to be, I, I hear people tell me, well, I don't know what happened to our marriage. We just started we started growing apart. No, you didn't grow apart. Growth implies that something is being pro- productive. You didn't grow apart. You drifted apart. Early on in your marriage, it wasn't a big deal. We're right here together. You go out with your friends. I go out with my friends. Okay, it's going to be fine. Love you. Okay, see you when we're, it's over. Then I continue to follow my friends in this direction. You, forget, you continue to follow your friends in this direction. You have a life out here outside of our marriage. I have a life outside, over here outside of our marriage. And then eventually the distance between us is so far apart, we don't know if we can bring it back together. I have my hobbies. You have your hobbies. I have my activities. You have your activities. I have the things that, that interest me. You have the things that interest you. And none of those things interest us together. And our lives slowly, slowly maneuver apart because we don't fight and sacrifice for oneness. I've asked a lot of couples this, and and it's this. I I said, so what is the most important day? What is the most special day of your marriage? And without fail, so many times they'll revert back in history, and they'll they'll go back to that point before they drifted apart. They'll go all the way back to that point where they came together, and they said, it was when we stood together and said, I do. Sounds very special, and I say, that's very disappointing for me to hear, because today is the most important day in your marriage. And why are you not closer today, 10 years down the road, than you were 10 years ago when you were almost strangers? Today should be the most important and the most special day of your marriage Good every job. day. What resource would you tell them? To- resource bar none without, without failure. Without failure would be uh, uh, one of my, uh, probably, it's the book called One Flesh by Pastor Bob Yannion. He's one of the best teachers in the body of Christ in the modern age. And this book by, uh, by him, uh, One Flesh, uh, Oral Roberts, uh, for over 25 years after this book was published, read it every single year. Him and his wife sat down every year. This was the only book that he read more than once. And he read it every single year with his wife. It's probably definitively the best definition of what a biblical marriage really means. And I would say that every, every Christian, but even before you're married, uh, but every Christian needs to read this book to understand the marriage. Come on, somebody. All right, what about you, Pastora? What if we asked you yet just a couple minutes, what would you say to us? Number one piece. You know, even just want to take a moment kind of as we've had two points and now we're going to pause and have two more just to reiterate the importance of this. I am so grateful that in our Together series that 
that, uh, that PA said, we're going to talk about intimacy. We're going to talk. Maybe that's not what you've ever talked about in church before. Yeah. Maybe that's completely new to you. But we have a society that does not understand the role of sex and intimacy in marriage. And whatever stage in life, whether we're, you're 5 or 85 and all that, we have to train it. We have to make sure that we have uh, an understanding of God's, God's perspective. That's why we did a seminar yesterday. That's why we encourage people to get involved in small group life because we don't need to keep hidden the challenges that we walk through. We need so to good. find godly wisdom and we need to make sure that we are training up a generation that will not be uh, trained by the uh, by a good, worldly baby. vantage point well, that we speaking. are training people. Amen. So that's the importance. I'm so grateful that yeah, so that we're good. we're doing that this morning. For me, the point that uh, that came to mind that kind of stuck with me is that make sure the person is more important than the point. And I don't know if that's just because you got two only children that learn to be married together, and or because uh, just grow up from a South Louisiana group of folks that um, like to have their way. I don't know, but it's very in, it, the person is more important than the point. You know, a husband and wife were fishing one Saturday morning, and they were discussing the Dateline special they had watched the night before. And those are those specials where somebody gets killed, right? And they got to figure it out. And and the husband said, "I had no idea that you could kill somebody with a kitchen knife." And the wife said, "Honey." The husband killed the wife with scissors, don't you know? It wasn't a knife. And, and he said, oh, no, you must have stepped out. It definitely was a knife. And she said, no, it was scissors, I promise. And, and they go back and forth, scissors, knife, scissors, knife, as they begin to, the boat begins to rock. And finally, he had had enough, and he just pushed her overboard. And as she was sinking, the wife simply lifted her hand. Scissors, right? Come on, be how honest. You've always got to get the point across, don't you? How the many of us? We do that in our marriage sometimes. Every once in a while, we'll look at each other and we're just. <laughs> my nine year old looked at me the other day and she just went like this. <laughs> how many times does the point become? all that matters to oh, us. And we get to where we look up and we may even lose a relationship because we're not going to lose a battle, right? Yeah. And in a marriage and in being together, the person, winning that person has to be more important than winning the point. So that, uh, that affects us in work. It affects us in every situation that we can get so caught up in being right. Ephesians 4.3 says, make every effort to keep the unity, the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. And when we talk about peace, that doesn't mean being a doormat and saying, right. whatever, you win, whatever, whatever, yeah. you can have your way. I'm going to give in just so you'll leave me alone. Or, or, or just or, or a false sense of peace. But you know what? Peace comes from the Prince of Peace. It comes from somewhere deep inside. When we get alone with our Lord, our Savior and our Creator, and say, Lord, align my heart. Put peace inside my own heart so that whatever situation I walk into, however tense, however a point that I'm having to deal with, let me be in a place of peace because I've found peace in my Jesus inside. And that brings peace to our whole surroundings, no matter if food's flying through the air from the toddler or whatever is going on, that there's peace in our heart because we've brought, we've stopped and we've had a moment with our father. And that then translates into peace in our marriages and in our relationships. 
One of the books that you've heard us mention before that we just absolutely can never not, not mention is The DNA of Relationships by Gary Smalley. So Anything good. by Gary Smalley is incredible, but just an incredible book that you say, why am I feeling this inside? Right. Why do I feel this um, passionate, negative emotion? What is it about me that the Lord wants to help me discover? And that what is it about my relationships that is causing this to happen? And as we begin to discover that and discover how we can bring bring peace into our relationships and strength comes. Now, I love this about us because, you know, we're only children, as Jamie mentioned, and, uh, and so Jamie is not as right most of the time like I am, and so she has learned to fight for our marriage instead of proving to me that she is right all the time and I'm wrong, and so that's... Been- I've actually learned it's a lot more fun for him to figure out he was wrong and uh, then me tell him he was wrong because it's just, it's like so sweet later when he has to come back and tell me that I was right. So either way, I'm either right now or right later, and, and this, it's still both fun, right? <coughs> the person is more in point, per, per, important than the point. <laughs> no, but I really have been blessed. <laughs> Thank you, Josiah. <laughs> I really have, uh, it, Jamie and I really do work really hard to build each other instead of try to be right. And, um, and I really appreciate that being your, your main point. For me, uh, the point that I would teach someone, and that is, is that you have to build the marriage. You have to build it. Marriage is what you build. You don't inherit it. You don't, uh, I don't know, you know, people, people see, see marriage as, I did what I was supposed to do. I saved up my money. I did all the premarital counseling or whatever. And now I should move into the perfect home friend, that does not exist. And there is not the perfect marriage, if you will. The perfect marriage is what you make of the situation that you have. I want you to picture like a builder. That builder walks out to that vacant lot and begins to cut into the ground and all of a sudden finds out, wait a minute, this ground wasn't as solid as it was supposed to be. So now we've got to change how we put the foundation. Now we've got to drive, we've got to drive pillars down into that, into that soft dirt until we find something hard. And you do that a lot around this area because the clay is shifting. And then all of a sudden get that foundation built and you order all the supplies and the supplies come in and they're not exactly what you ordered and they're not what you thought you were going to get. And now you have to change the plan. Can I explain something to you? When you two imperfect people come together... What you thought you were getting is not always what you're getting. Somebody ought to say amen right there. I'm going to tell you right now, Jamie thought she had a guy who was this, this, and this, and when we got into it, she went, he comes up a little short there. <laughs> Found out that, stop your short jokes, no, I can't have all that. <laughs> but the materials aren't necessarily exactly what you thought you would be working with. But do you know what the beauty of a real marriage is? Is that you take the materials that you got and you build with it. And it may not look like everybody else's marriage. And it may not look like the perfect, you know, leave it to the beaver type of scenario. But what it comes out being is perfect for you because you built it. Because you worked hard at it. Because you know what? You said, you know what? I thought you were this, but I recognize you're not that. And so as a result, I'm going to do this. And I'm going to adjust over here. And that's going to make us great. And I have a little statement on that. I love this little piece that, that I, I, I quote periodically. And that is this. We all start with different materials. What we do with them determines beauty or, uh, or disgust. You say, man, I can't stand her. That's because you haven't built her. It's because you haven't built her up where she's weak at. You thought, you thought, well, I expected her to do this, this, and this, and this. 
Well, she doesn't. She's not strong there. You understand? You, you have no idea. You don't know the ramifications. Maybe you thought you understood, but once you got married and you didn't realize that the, that the thing that she went through sexually as a teenager, as a child, is now affecting your marriage. You thought, oh, I, I thought it was okay. No. You got some materials that aren't the same as everybody else's. Or maybe you thought that he had the leadership skills that, that he could lead your family. You thought he was going to be a sold-out man of God. And the moment y'all got married a year into it, now all of a sudden he don't even want to go to church with you anymore. And you're like, well, well this is not what I thought I was going to give. Friend, you have to build. And I have a key scripture on that. Proverbs 14, 1 says this. A wise woman, the wise woman builds her house. But with her own hands, the foolish one tears hers down. You got to build it. And I don't think that applies just to the woman. I think that's for all, both male and female. I, we have to build this thing. We have to work hard at it. Here's another little statement. Building a great marriage is less about the perfect plan and more about the enjoyment of building. I can't tell you how many people I've sat with and they, in, in counseling. And they just like, we had a plan. And the plan isn't working. And y'all said if we did this. And, and we were Christians. We did. And it's not working. Friend, listen, it's not so much about the perfect plan is going to give you the perfect marriage. It's about the process of enjoying the building of it. And, and, and so you've got to see marriage less about an Ikea piece of furniture. You know, there's only one way to build that Ikea furniture, and it's exactly like those doggone Europeans said you have to do it. I've tried. I've tried to do it with standard tools, and it doesn't work because they do metric stuff. It doesn't work. I can't stand that stuff. But that's not what building a marriage is like. Marriage is more like a slab of clay, and that artist looks at it. He doesn't even always know what he's, what's going to come out, but he starts working his hands in it. And once he starts getting it, all of a sudden he realizes, wow. This, I see this in there, and he pulls that out of it. Or, or, or that, that one who does a painting, and a lot of times they just have the canvas, and they have the paint. They don't have a, 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 you know, a one, two, three, four, five, this is how you paint this thing that you want to paint. They have a, a thing in their heart, they have a vision in their mind, but when they start, they, the painters will tell you, they just start putting it on there. And as they come, all of a sudden, this kind of accentuates. And so they go over here and focus on this, and then, then they see that this stripping caused this, but that's okay, because they're going to use this to make this come out of it. And what they started in their mind isn't always what they end up with, but at the end of it, it's beautiful. Why? Because they built it. Because they put their hand to it. And I want to just encourage you. You can't try to build what John and Elisa's building or what Adam and Jamie's. You've got to build with the materials you've been given. And you've got to say, I'm going to make this beautiful. We're going to put the effort in it. And as a result, it's going to be beautiful and it's going to be ours. It's going to be ours. But that being said, I want you to stand with me all across the room. We want to pray over our marriages today. I hope these pieces have helped you. I think you've got four good pieces that you could go and, and apply to your life, some things that you can make yourself a little stronger. If you're married today and your spouse is with you, would you just put your hand around them, put your arm around them? If you're single today, I want you to take on these truths and believe for your marriage. You say, well, I'm past the age of being married single. I want you to hold to these truths so you can teach the younger generation coming up. And what I want to do today is I want to pray over each one of these four pieces that we would be strong in these four wisdom points that we've learned from this, these two couples today. And I want to ask Elisa to start with the, if you will, the keeping strong in the intimacy. And, um, and, then, and then Pastor John for the oneness. And then Miss Jamie about not fighting for the point, but fighting for the person. And then I'll close out that we would all be great builders. So if you will, just bow your heads with us across the room and close your eyes. And Elisa, why don't you start out with that area? 
God, I just come before you today, God, and I thank you for the institution of marriage. I thank you for what you've given us, that great gift. And so right now, I just pray over marriages here, Lord, that you would open their eyes to those gaps and those little places um, in between them, God, in the bedroom, Lord, that would be hindering them from coming together or that would leave space for the enemy to get in and begin to just defile and mess up. And so I just speak over right now, God, even that you would open their eyes to each other. Lord, let them see each other how you see them and not through maybe um, glasses of bitterness or or, um, any blindness, God, but open their eyes to see how much they truly love each other through you and how you love through us. And so, God, I just thank you um, that walls would come down, that uh, marriages would be closer, God. I thank you for that, and I thank you for your faithfulness and your love for us, that you will never, ever leave us or forsake us in Jesus' name. James, your word says that a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. He can't even expect to receive anything from God. So many marriages are double-minded. They're not even single. They haven't, they haven't aligned their life. They haven't aligned their hearts. They have interests outside of one another. They have relationships outside of one another. It's two entirely different individuals moving apart. Father, I speak against that right now. In Jesus God, Christ. a culture has, is creating that. A culture is saying, be your own person. When God says, be devoted to the one that you love. And so, God, I want to bring unity. God, I ask you to bring unity to these marriages like never before. That they would begin to fight against the culture for oneness. They would fight against self-interest for oneness. They would fight against selfish interests for oneness. God, that we would learn the art. We would learn the beauty of what it means to selflessly serve one another. God, the example that you laid forward for us, when you looked down from heaven and you saw those that you so desperately wanted to be united again with, And you sent your only son. You gave up. You sacrificed yourself. You gave everything up. And in that moment, you laid it all down. Why do we lift our hands during worship? Why do we we take this moment of expression? Because there was a moment in history when Jesus lifted his hands for us. The difference is, is they put nails in his. We lifted in worship. He lifted his in sacrifice. God, what it means to unify ourselves together as couples. God, I speak against division. I speak against people who are speaking poison into our marriages. God saying, I don't think you shouldn't put up with that. How dare he speak to you that way? Let there be no voices that draw us away from the one that you have united us together with. I speak speak entirety and wholeness over our marriages. God, that we, we be one of heart, one of mind, and one flesh together in you. Father, I just thank you for the um, the ministry that's gone forth today, Father. I thank you for the revelation that you've brought to, to many of us, Lord. I thank you, Father, for the continued revelation, Lord. As we uh, walk through life, Lord, as we do life, Father, as we meet with our small groups, Father, and we ask, hey, we need to talk about life. We need to talk about our marriage. Lord, that you would uh, grow us, grow us together as Pastor John said, that we would grow together with our spouses. Father, never let the person uh, be sacrificed for the sake of the point. Father, may we dedicate our lives to winning our spouse, Father, to winning their heart instead of winning an argument, Lord. Let us commit, Father, to to growing in, in peace in our own heart as we align ourselves with the Spirit of God. And, Lord, a peace that, that, that exudes from us everywhere we go, that people you, feel that peace and sense that, Lord, in Jesus' name. Father, Thank I do you. pray right now that each and every one of us, whether we be single, whether we be married, Lord God, that we would take on the understanding that we have to build this thing. And it doesn't stop once we get married, and it's somehow supposed to be perfect, that we've got to build. And we may not always have the exact tools, 
that we thought that we thought we deserved. We may not always have the right materials that w- that others had, or we may think that our materials are weaker or not as good. But Lord, I just thank you right now in Jesus' name that we will embrace what has been given us and we will build and like beautiful artists Lord God like those who put their hands to clay work or metal work and there's something crazy wonderful comes out of it Lord God that we would see that is how we develop our marriage and how we build our marriage Lord God that there's not a perfect look that there's not the perfect couple but there's that couple who stands before the Lord with all of our weaknesses with all of our shortcomings with all of our messiness and we fight for one another and we build this thing called love and marriage and Lord as we build it Lord God it'll be wonderful and beautiful beautiful and others will come to us and say you're the only one who's ever looked anywhere like us wow how did you do it we'll be able to say listen we worked on this on this side over here and we put a little extra in the foundation over here and oh because we were on a slant because we had that bad experience back when we were children we had to do this and build it up on this side father i pray that that revelation would become so secure and these men and women and they would be liberated from the thought process that there's a perfect plan there's there's an a plus b always equals c kind of plan but they would see that you've given them the right materials that they need, that they have the right foundation that they need, and that they have the ability to build what you've called them to build, and that is a marriage full of love and a marriage that looks like oneness. We thank you for this as you brought us together in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen.